Greet you all in the name of Jesus. Pleasure to be here tonight again. As I had stated earlier, uh, tonight the uh, message is geared primarily for, for youth, but as Dennis alluded to yesterday, um, it's also good for each one of us as adults. I invite you to take your Bibles with me to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 5. It uh, gives us instruction, as uh, Warren has shared as well. Gives us instruction for life. Gives us instruction for uh, directing us for our eternity <clears throat> in preparation for when the Lord will return. And also for our good as we journey along here. Verse 19 of First Thessalonians chapter 5. It says, Quench not the spirit. And then it says, despise not prophesyings. And then it says, prove all things. Hold fast that which is good. Abstain from all appearances or appearance of evil. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole Spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. Brethren, pray for us. Greet all brethren with a holy kiss. I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read unto all the holy brethren. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Verse 25, or sorry, 23, it says, The very God of peace sanctify you wholly. It says there, sanctify, obviously that means to cleanse us. It also has the meaning of the, the sense of setting apart, making holy. And he says, holy, make, sanctify you holy, or completely, entirely. And then it says, spirit, soul, and body. So that is what we want to talk about tonight. In the very aspects of our Christian life. And so when I think of <clears throat> youth, some people say that they are the future church. And I want to emphatically say it is not only the future church, it is the present day church. You are a very, very vital part of the present day church. We're not waiting till you are a vital, vital part of it. You are a vital part of the today church. I am so grateful for the youth. What they can contribute to a church is absolutely amazing to me. Now turn with me to Psalm 144. <clears throat> the psalmist here gives uh, his 
can I say, a glimpse of what his desire is or what he envisions youth to be. And that's one of my favorite verses when I speak to youth. And our desire is that you as, you as youth, it says in verse 12 of Psalm 144, <clears throat> that our sons may be as plants growing up in their youth, that our daughters may be as cornerstones polished after the similitude of a palace. So it is a, gives us a beautiful picture of what the Bible says that their desire, what its desire is, that our sons are to be, uh, to see them as plants growing up to maturity. And it's so you see them, the Bible talks here about seeing the, the youth as plants, not as weeds or as thorns. See them as plants growing, very positive, not as plants withered and drying out. To see them likely to bring forth fruit unto God in their day. To see the youth growing strong in spirit. So it's a beautiful picture. That our daughters may be as cornerstones polished after the similitude of a palace. And when you think of a palace and you think of those pillars, it talks about strength, talks about beauty, talks about uh, vitality. And I say, friends, youth are in, a, in the years of great significance. The psalmist also said in Psalm 71, verse 17, O God, from my youth you have taught me, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. We pray that God would begin to teach our children from the earliest age in the ways that only he knows how. That was the bidding of the psalmist, and it is for you and I as well. And the psalmist, he also says, You, O Lord, are my hope, my trust, O Lord, from my youth. And the psalmist says that God has been his trust, his confidence from his youth. So it is very important, friends, that we understand that the Bible refers to the youth in various occasions. And he looks up to them. And he even goes on to say in Psalm 103, he refers to youth as something to be desired after. He says, so that thy youth is renewed like eagles. That talks about vigor. It talks about strength and such like. And so it's important, friends, that you as youth are, in the eyes of God, amazing and when I look at youth, I think of them as a tremendous force for good. A zeal that maybe I don't have as much anymore as I get older. Enthusiasm. Energy. Imagination that maybe some of us got a little stale in. 
ambition. One of the men in the Bible that I think of a lot when I think of youth, I think of David. And you know, when you think of David going up against Goliath, his, can I say his amazing uh, trust in God. He hadn't seen very many hard knocks in life, if you could say it that way, as young as a young lad. And so he with confidence, vibrant confidence, deep faith, a very innocent belief, if you, if you will, in God. And he went out and he conquered amazing things. And I want to tell you, youth, with that same kind of vigor and zeal, you are able to accomplish what David did. And you are able to conquer the Goliaths in life today. No question about it. So you are in a time as youth where there is many, many new beginnings. You know, I've often thought of youth. This is the first time that you are at the stage in life where you're at. You never had this opportunity before. And for us as parents to look at the youth and us as older ones, looking at the youth as such, brings us an understanding and, and grace and mercy and encouragement to them. When we think of them having never had been there, I'm sure you youth have likely heard already the statement said to you, you should know better. Well, possibly that's true. But the reality is, You've never journeyed this road before. And when I think of youth journeying the road for the first time, and the decisions that they have to make in that time, it is very, very important. It's a very pivotal point in your life. The decisions you make today will affect the future. The decisions you make today are, will have a lifetime impact on your life. I shared with you all some time ago, uh, for a few days ago, I should say, impact of negative decisions in life. But I believe you can make decisions that are positive and have a dramatic and impact life or impact in your life for the rest of your life for good. So when I think of youth, I think of them in a transitional stage. They're going from a, a, a stage of dependence upon their parents or their guardians to independence and having to do, uh, depend on the decisions that they make. So they're in a transitional time. And uh, going from independence are going from dependence to independence, from adolescence to adulthood. As children, they depended on their parents, they embraced what their parents said, but the youth are losing their dependentness on their parents. And youth, be gracious with your parents in this time, because they are, you're still their children, and sometimes they struggle with seeing you being more independent. That can be identified in various ways, depending how that is looked at. 
Sadly, some parents see that transition as being an expression of rebellion. Oh, so you don't heed my counsel anymore, you don't need me anymore, and such like, and they become offended with this transition. Youth, this is God designed. You are in need of making this transition. Because I know of uh, some 25 to 30 year old men that still rely heavily on their dad. And it is hindering their progression in life. So that's not God's design. Design is that youth make that transition in the fear of the Lord that they become independent individuals serving God because they will and are accountable for their choices that they make. And so as they lose that dependence and become more independent they are exploring youth you are exploring if what you have been taught by your parents if that is authentic whether that is something that you want and need and those are some decisions that you have to make what you have been taught by your parents is that authentic is that what you want is that what you need in some cases yes and in some cases no Will I embrace what I have been taught? These are some of the new beginnings. So new application. How do I make application now? How do I apply it to my life, what I have been taught? Do I know how to handle independence? And it's interesting watching youth. Over the years it's been very interesting. Watching youth making that transition Some, that transition is fearful. They're petrified with the idea of going out on their own, if you will. And for others, it's adventurous. It's exciting. Oh, wow, I finally, you know. So there's a vast difference between children's makeup. And some need encouragement and a push. I know of youth that Especially uh, some older one, or some of the older ones in the family, say the first youth in a family. Nah, I'm okay staying at home. I can't relate with that, but this is reality. Some need encouragement. Some need a push to get out of the nest, if you will, and uh, become more independent. Others need restraint and holding back. I can more relate with that personally. Some seek counsel and struggle in making their own decisions. Others refuse counsel, make hasty decisions. Some feel pushed out of the nest, rejected and unloved. Others feel in bondage and restricted and feel unloved. We're all made up differently. We really are. Some are focused to make choices to do things that they have not been taught. What I'm saying there, friends, there are youth 
that are forced to do things that they have not been taught. Parents have been negligent in teaching right and wrong and why we do certain things, and yet they force children to do that. It's very important that we are taught, that youth are taught. So for the parents, don't ask children to do what you have not taught. Some youth need to step out and make decisions different than what their parents made. Because the parents did not make right choices. And for youth, my heart goes out to those. And that brings, they feel alone, lonely, and fearful. All these things are a reality in various youth's lives. Youth, I don't mean to bust your bubble, but you are immature seekers finding their way in new territory. You've never been here before. So new applications to life. Now we go to new personal convictions. Convictions. A time where obedience, you are, the youth are living in a time where obedience is more important than personal convictions. Let me explain that. Personal convictions are what core beliefs that you have. And because of life and uh, its immaturity, early in your state, in stages in uh, life that you are in, you haven't had the capacity, or the time I should say, or the capacity to develop all or, or many strong personal core beliefs. And so you might say, why does this matter? Or why does that matter? What? That's just a little thing or such like. Friends, obedience is paramount, not your convictions. And with time, obedience will grow into convictions. So you will, because obedience, you will be responsible and are responsible and accountable for the decisions you make. So let your conscience be your guide. Is that a good term? Youth, what do you think? Let your conscience be your guide. Parents, is that a good term? What do you think? There's some, there's some like this, and there's some that don't know. That is not a reliable source. There's people that say secularism says that let your conscience be your guide, and they allow the conscience to be the judge or the legislator of their lives. But that's not biblical. Instead, obedience and truth will mold and guide your conscience. Our conscience, our convictions may not take the lead over and above obedience. Cannot. 
Conscience is a trustworthy guide, and get this, only when it is informed and ruled by God. Conscience is to be subordinate or under and informed by the revealed word of God. Your conscience must be guided by the word of God. Your conscience and your convictions, if I can say that, are not a trustworthy guide in and in themselves. In and in themselves. It needs to be guided by the word of God. Obedience to the truth must become and guide your convictions. Not personal convictions becoming and guiding obedience. Then you have new inner messages. As your body biologically matures. Remember, this is the first time you are here. And some of these inner messages, if I can use those terms, as a result of your biological maturity, some of those messages will awaken a consciousness in your heart and mind that you had never had before. Desires that are foreign to you. You had never had these desires before. But because of maturity and biological transformation in your body, you're growing and maturing. There's certain desires that are going to be awakened in your body. Awareness of the opposite gender. And you know, I want for us to understand this is God designed and it must be talked about and taught by parents or a godly person. Why? Why do I say that with the amount of emphasis? Because my friends, I tell you, untaught uh, awakenings in your body, if you will, if it isn't taught and instructed, it will leave a youth feeling odd, undue shame, and wrong. Because they know and have been uh, have an understanding that some of these things are sin outside of its proper place. Well, am I sinning because of these awakenings in my makeup and in my body? It needs to be taught. And parents, I'm going to ask you this question. Why did some years ago, why did our forefathers decide to have private schools? Why? One was evolution. We couldn't condone that. Secondly, the other reason was sex education. We didn't want our teachers to be teaching us those aspects of our being and etc. But those were the two primary ones from my understanding. So now we withdraw our children 
from the school because of those things, but are we negligent in teaching it? The Bible has much to teach on this subject. You have a guide. Youth, you have a guide as well. And talking about these various things with accountable individuals. This is not a subject that you want to talk about flippantly, carelessly, or out of its context. But we must be taught. Because I've had too many and many encounters with youth that had no idea how to respond with these naturally designed maturing effects of your makeup and your being. Uneducated is a dangerous place. It will leave them seeking how to respond to the natural body's biddings. There's going to be uh, awakenings, passions that are awakened, desires that are awakened, and all of us have the tendency of following after our desires. Yes, we do. I, in my time, it was not talked about. Sexuality was not talked about. Maturity in our bodies was not talked about. And a person that I uh, respected a lot made this comment to me at a very young age. Oh, we don't need to teach our children those things. They naturally will understand. My friends, that is an erring theology. Is it safe to let nature take its course? What is all of our nature? It's not a safe way for youth. It is not something that we as parents dare to be negligent in. And youth, if you don't have somebody that are, that is teaching you the various aspects of your maturing, uh, bodies and your desires, find somebody reputable, deeply grounded in the Word of God, and seek wisdom. The natural way, I usually say it this way, a passion unharnessed is like a horse that is unharnessed. It is destructive, it runs wild, and the horse is only doing what it naturally wants to do. But that's not okay. Our passions and our desires, our sexuality must be harnessed with the Word of God and the Spirit of God and with much wisdom, grace, and understanding. So if these things are transpiring in you and through you, you are not odd. It is God designed and it is something that the Bible has much to say on. I encourage you and I bid parents to teach. John Copeland's book, At a Young Age, uh, God's Purpose for Your Body, I think is the title, something very close to that. Parents, teach your children. Youth, be teachable. Let your parents or somebody teach you on this subject. It's very important.
New relationships is another new thing that you're going to be faced with. Number one, first and foremost in relationships is your relationship in Christ. Youth, I want you to do a study sometime in your Bible and go and find throughout the Bible how often it says in Christ. Do that a study. And you will be blessed and you will be challenged. And because, friends, why is that important youth? I'll tell you why. Because if you ever become into a relationship with uh, another person and you are not filled with the Spirit of God and you are not fulfilled in Christ, you are going to expect that a measure of that fulfillment from your partner. And it's going to reach into marriage. And where there is a husband and wife that expect from their partner what only God is able to fill, they are, the relationship is left wanting and it becomes weak and beggarly. Let us remember, only Christ can fulfill our hearts and we can bless one another but a wanting heart is left weak and beggarly. Secondly, the question that you should ask, God, do you want me to be married or do you want me to be single? That's an honest question. The most important thing is not who you marry, the most important thing is who you are. Is he or she born again? And if so, does the life show fruit accordingly? Essential. Because the Bible says, ye must be born again. And now I would like to say this. If that is all in order, there's another other few things that I feel that is very, very important for youth to evaluate if there is a partner or a person that uh, of interest in, of the opposite sex. Is he born again? Or is he or she born again? And the next question is, well, actually, let me just stop here. This past week, just before, uh, I think it was Monday. I got a phone call in the office and uh, a young man from another church called me. And he has an interest in a girl from our church. And he wanted to know a little bit about this girl. And you know what the two primary things were that he was interested in? His first interest was, what is that girl's relationship with her parents? Secondly was, what is that girl's relationship with the church? That I found honorable. 
That is immensely mature. I, I just found that it was such a big blessing. And that's what I got written down here. I've always said, young men, if you have a young girl in mind, one of the things you have to take a look at, two things you have to take a look at, and was those, these very two things. Relationship with your parents. Is it honorable? Is it respectful? Is there godly obedience? And it's same with the church. What is their relationship with the church? And you take a look at that girl or that man in one, uh, in both ways. And I want to tell you without a shadow of a doubt, the relationship that these young folks have with the church will be equal to the relationship in the marriage without an exception. So if that young man has very little uh, honor to the church or respect to the church, expect the same type of respect for yourself in the marriage. And likewise, for girls to look at, uh, at young men and for boys to look at young girls, evaluate that. How they are treating the church, how they look at the church, is how you will be treated in that marriage. The other thing is dating. I really believe with all my heart that dating must begin with marriage in mind. If you're going to start dating with not marriage in mind, why do you want to date? What purpose are you dating? Casual dating, my friends, is playing with fire. And the proverb says, Can a man take fire in his bosom and his cloth not get burned? Casual dating is ungodly. Dating with a vision. Because the Bible says, Where there is no vision, people perish. And you know what the word vision means? That doesn't mean uh, just uh, a vision. It talks about divine revelation. Where people do not have divine revelation, people perish. That's not a casual statement. That is a very serious statement. And so I put together a dating outline for my children and for as many people as uh, as I've counseled in, in regards to dating. And I titled it Dating with a Vision because dating without a divine revelation is trouble. So dating with a vision. Why are you dating? It is absolutely essential that we date with a vision. And I don't have my uh, overhead here, so I will do my best I can. So you will begin your dating experience starting here and moving across. 
you have your moral standard very, very high. And your, I don't have a red one here, so I'll use a green one. And then you have your adrenaline, if you will, your passions. I guess this one here doesn't work, so I'll use another one. Here we go, closer. Your passions and your adrenaline are low, have not been engaged, but your moral standard is very high. And your passion is not engaged. As you spend time together, and time moves on, and time moves on, we have a tendency of, I'll just talk about passion now, it rises and rises and rises. And this here uh, is ultimately an intimate relationship that is only designed to be within the perimeters of marriage. I've asked a young man one time, actually a few, I says, what is your covenant in your dating relationship? And he says, well, obviously we're not going to, and then he said, the act of marriage. My friends, I want to tell you, there are many, many, many activities prior to the act itself, the intimate act itself of marriage, that are outside the will of God and not meant to be within a dating relationship. So we will measure, we'll measure a few. So you might start with holding hands. You start right there, and that one there. You start with holding hands. And then you might think that, oh well, with time, I can possibly, you know, give a hug. And then I can uh, give her just a simple goodnight kiss. And then prolonged hugging and such like. And you can fill in the blanks. I tell you, friends, without a shadow of a doubt, the minute you go beyond this portion, your moral standards drop right down to zero. You cannot, you cannot go beyond holding hands and keep your mind and heart pure. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. First Corinthians chapter seven. A very interesting verse. And this is concerning marriage. It says in verse one, it says, Now concerning the things whereof ye rode unto me. Colon. Look at what it says. It's interestingly worded. But it says, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Interesting. And then it goes on and talks about sexual impurity. Or, nevertheless, avoid fornication. Let every man have his own wife. 
So I'm going to ask you this question, youth. Would it be appropriate for me to touch another woman? What do you think? Youth. The heads are going this way. Why not? What's the problem? Why not? You may talk. Okay? Why is it inappropriate or why is it wrong for me to touch a woman? Tell me. Because you'd be violating your relationship with your wife. That's right. I'd be violating my relationship with my wife. And because I'm married. That's why. And so by me touching another woman, that is a disobedient act and it is outside of marriage. Right? That's what makes it wrong. It is an act outside of marriage. So are you, youth? You're not married either. So that same act applies to all men and women outside of marriage. It does not only talk about married men. This talks about an act outside of marriage. And that's why it says it is good for a man not to touch a woman. And that is why I say I respect people that draw the line not even holding hands. I respect that. But I want to say, friends, anything beyond that. If you decide that, that that's what you're going to do is hold hands in your dating relationship, I want to warn you emphatically, it is the beginning of something. Purity is essential. Let's go back to creation. Adam and Eve fell. And what did God give to Eve? A garment, right? Now, some people say that that is... Okay, no, I'm not, I'm not going to say what I said. Why do you think, well, let's, let's just say what a garment is. A garment is a piece, a piece of cloth that comes from the neck down to the mid-calf. That is what a garment is. The fig leaves weren't good enough. God gave her a garment to put on. Why? What was the purpose for that garment? Some people say it was for the eyes. It could be true. But I'm going to say this. Hands, touch, no, I should say touch, is more stimulating than the eye. Therefore, I believe with all my heart that a garment is there for protection for the body. 
And the garment is there to protect from both eyes and touch. And therefore, it is essential, friends, what this scripture is saying. It is good for a man not to touch a woman. So whatever the garment covers is off limits. Do you get it? And therefore, it appalls me and it bothers me when I see some kind of, some, how some people disregard, and they say, yeah, she's dressed modestly, but yet, in blunt terms, they're all over each other. Friends, the Bible says that we are to be pure. What does that mean? Just our eyes? Or also our hearts? Pure in all things. And I want to say it is crucial because a violation of a biblical teaching in a dating relationship will ultimately break trust. It really will. So it is important that we understand why God put the garment in place. It is not only for the eyes. Yes, eyes are, that is very important as well. Immodest dress is very, very suggestive to the eye. But I want to say, touch, again, is equally, if not more, destructive in that sense as what the eyes are. And uh, it's uh, if you have situation with your eyes, Dial 311, not 911, but dial 311. Job 311, I made a covenant with my eyes. Make a covenant. And when you sit down as a dating couple, if you ever get to that and if you are there, write out your dating outline and your commitment to one another. Write it out. Be very clear at the very onset of your dating relationship. Document it. Understand each other makeup and desires. Sign it. And give it to your parents. And if that's not possible, your pastor. And stay accountable. It's absolutely essential. Irma and I made it a commitment of ours that all the youth that started dating in our time as youth pastor, we went out for a coffee, dessert, had a sweet time together, and then we I shared that uh, dating outline with them, and I told them without a, a question that they need to uh, write out their commitment to one another, their objective. And their goal. What is your vision as you date? And then uh, share that with the parents and stay accountable to one another, to God, and to each other. I encourage you to do that. We as churches, we do premarital counseling, which is good. 
But I say we need to do predating counseling. It is absolutely essential because so, so many times, by the time they get to the marriage altar, there are too many broken uh, barriers, if you can say it that way. Promises have been broken, trust has been broken, and it goes right into marriage. And about five years after marriage, there's trouble. And there's trouble. And it stems back to unbroken promise, or sorry, broken promises, heartaches, and that promise has never been regained from what they have violated in their dating relationship. I have not, I have yet to sit across a table with a young married couple and they telling me without a doubt that, oh, Willis and Irma, our dating relationship was just way too pure. I haven't heard anybody say that. But with tears and agony. It's heartbreaking. It's absolutely heartbreaking. How you conduct yourself in your dating relationship will have a huge impact on your marriage relationship. Because I'll tell you, if a young man does not restraint his passions according to the word of God or by the grace of God, by the power of God, if he does not, if he lets his passions roll and doesn't restrain them, where else? And this has asked, this has been a question that many ladies have asked when this was, uh, when this happened in their dating relationship. Well, how can I trust them in other areas? Precisely. If he has no restraint in that area, what other places? It affects his financial abilities to make the financial decisions, rational decisions. It has an effect, it's a, huge effect on a person's makeup and trust is broken and then fear steps in then the ladies have a fear to submit under such an authoritative figure and yet the Bible says I'm supposed to submit yes that's what the Bible says but I say men and ladies make a covenant before God and witnesses to keep your dating relationship pure. That he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water and the word. Do a devotional, series of devotional. And Howard Bean has an excellent book for dating couples to go through. Um, it's, it's actually it looks very classy. It really does. It's beautiful. Uh, find something like that, and uh, that or something like it, and go through it. Because, friends, we are naturally, we are made up, as I said earlier, our transition from adolescent to adulthood awakens some of those things. But I want to say, friends, I'll give you this illustration. How many of you ladies like roses? Y'all were like roses? And uh, 
White ones especially. They're beautiful. They are absolutely beautiful. I'm a guy and I just love roses. Red uh, is beautiful. It is. But white? That just conveys to me purity. And what I like is when I see a rose in the bud stage. You know, all the leaves are still curled up. You know what I see in that? I see a very undisturbed, pure, unblemished rose. And then as it opens up, it conveys its beauty. Well, I want to say this, I want to use this illustration. And I'm convinced that you could take a rosebud, and if you would want to see the beauty of it before its time, and you'd go there and you'd force that flower open because you want to see the beauty of it before it is meant to be. So you're going to peel back those petals and you're going to really bring this rosebud out and bring it to full bloom because you want to see its beauty before its time. How beautiful would that rose look? Would it look nice? It would be tattered, torn, and destroyed. And then after you open it up, you say, oh dear, that's not what I expected it to be. So you try to close it back up again. Will it ever go back to its original state? No. Likewise, in a dating relationship, marital acts outside of marriage will do precisely that to your body. It's wrong. It'll never be the same. Never. It's very important. Very important to go through and follow through with God's word, God's power, God's strength. Because there's going to be a day that we will come before God. And it says, a good man and a virtuous woman. A good man, in Proverbs 12, verse 2, it says, A good man obtaineth favor of the Lord, but a man of wicked devices will be condemned. Then he goes on to say in verse 4, A virtuous woman is a crown to her husband, but she that maketh shame is as rottenness to his bones. I say, friends, a good man, if you study that word, a good man was referred to uh, as Barnabas. Barnabas was referred to a good man. And what made him a good man? A good man, what he was, or how he was identified as a good man was because he was full of the Holy Ghost and faith. That's what made him a good man. And a good man obtaineth favor of the Lord. And a virtuous woman, what is virtue? Virtue is a grace received that was not yours to begin with in simple terms. There was this lady. <clears throat> she had uh, an issue all her life back in Mark, or in Mark uh, 5, 21 to 30. And that woman, she sought when Jesus came through she sought the time to go and touch the hem of Jesus' garment. And when she did, Jesus said, who touched me? And the disciples said, 
there's a mass of people around here. How do you know that somebody touched? And he says, virtue went out of me. And if you want to be a virtuous woman, touch the hem of Jesus' garment and you will receive grace that was not yours. So it's important. Friends, youth, make Jesus the king of your heart. And as he dwells within you, it talks about that is your the inner man. Where Jesus dwells on the throne of your heart, he is within you. And as Jesus Christ pours in the grace into your heart, that power and that strength, then it will go from the inside out and it will restrain and empower the outer man from the inside out. The outer man is made up of five senses. The outer man is made up of five senses. Get a hold of this. Eyes, mouth, nose, ears, and feelings. That is what the outer man is made up of. Absent of the Holy Spirit, there is no power within you to restrain those five senses. And all those five senses have a screaming appetite for fulfillment. And if you don't have the Holy Spirit to restrain the passions and desires of the outer man, then that is what's going to govern your life. But if you have the Holy Spirit within you and it empowers you and strengthens you and then the inner man will control the outer man and the passions and those five senses are then governed by the King Jesus on your heart. But absent of Jesus, I'll reiterate it again, then your five senses, the passions, all have passions and desires and they want fulfillment. And that is what the secular world is all about. The ungodly world is people that are governed by the five senses. Do as you will. Do whatever you want. If you like it, do it. Feels good, do it. And I want to ask you a question. Back in 1966, Anton Lavave, he wrote the Satanist Bible. And you know what the cliche is inside the cover of the Satanist Bible? And you know what the Satanist Bible is written with these and thous? Did you know that? I hope you don't. But inside the cover of the Satanist Bible, it says, Do as thou wilt is the entire law. Does that statement sound familiar or too familiar within our circles? I'm going to do as I want. That's evil. That's ungodly. That tells me, if, I, if you're going to do whatever you want, you are allowing the five senses to fulfill their desires. Disaster. King Jesus 
must dwell in the inner man. And the outer man must be crucified daily. And what that means is the outer man must be brought under the subjection of the inner man. And thereby you will control the passions of the outer man with the grace and the power of Jesus Christ within. Essential. Absolutely essential. And therefore, the body will be held in subjection through the power of God. And so, my friends, youth, it says, keep thyself pure. And the way you're going to keep yourself pure is through the grace of God. And he that has begun a good work in you will also perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. That's my belief. And that is Bible. So those are some uh, direction that I wanted to share with you tonight as youth. And I hope it can help you in the future. And I will offer that dating outline for the pastors here and they can hand it out to you or use it or whatever at their discretion. I will give it to them and if you have a desire for them, you're welcome to it. I did not copyright it. So you're welcome to better it, do with it whatever you want. But my heart really goes out to you as youth when I think of all the changes that you are going through in your stage in life. And how pivotal, or how pivotal, and how foundational it is for life. Take the counsel of godly men and women. Take that counsel. Let them guide you. And be sanctified by the word of God. Set apart. You don't have to yield to society's whims and wishes. Yield to the will and way of God, and you will come out like that beautiful rose. Beautiful, unmarred, unscarred, beautiful. And that's God's intent for all of you. Lord, give you grace, wisdom, strength, and the love for Jesus with your life.